Well, good morning. Did I already say that? I said it again. Good morning twice. I didn't have two cups of coffee. I only had one this morning. So what did you say? (laughs) If I were to start calling you up to the pulpit right now, just randomly, say if I were to call someone like, I don't know, Mr. Foster, up to the pulpit right now, I'm not going to. But if I began to call each and every one of you up here randomly and began to ask you to just share for the church some of the amazing things that God has done in your life, there is no doubt in my mind that each and every one of you would have a story that would boggle our minds. A story that is unaccounted for by natural means, that all of the odds were stacked against you and you did nothing and uh, the doctor did nothing or your boss did nothing and something completely fortuitous took place. And you would call that in your life a miracle or you would call it uh, God's hand or whatever you might claim for it. But each and every one of us have those experiences in our lives. And it's important to hold on to those experiences and to remember those times when God acted favorably for us. Um, This week I spent a lot of time thinking about my sermon from last week. And it was my feeling that I presented one side of a two-sided coin, namely the side that side of suffering, the side that we experience and that we need to be ready to experience suffering as Christians and as human beings living in the world. But as I thought about it this week, I realized that it would be unfair and imbalanced for me to not also present the side of God's blessings, many blessings in our lives, and to balance that out. Uh, I have seen God do amazing things in my life. There were times where I did believe uh, that God no longer did miracles and that God's will was absolute and there was really no sense in praying. Um, I didn't share that with a lot of people because I grew up in the church and people might think, well, That's false belief, and I think they would be right. But um, over, as I got older and as life began to uh, take hold and I began to see things happen, I realized that God could do whatever he wanted to do at any time. And God's will for my life, really his secretive will, that which I didn't know, had nothing to do with my obedience. It had nothing to do with what God had called me to do. Nothing to do with whether or not I should pray at night and ask for God to be favorable. It was, after all, Jesus who taught us to pray that God deliver us from evil, did he not? And what type of evil? Just just mean and maniacal evil, evil, uh, uh, wicked evil, or all evil, natural evil? Uh, Sickness. Suffering of any kind. No, all evil. And so because God has called us to do that, it was wrong for me not to pray. I can tell you of some amazing events in my life. The most recent was a couple months back, Stephanie and I had a real scare, a real health scare. 
and we didn't share it with a lot of people. Um, Stephanie had been dealing with um, some swollen lymph nodes, and they were on the back of her neck, and they were rock hard. And of course, we wanted to self-diagnose, so we went to WebMD, which let me, re let, let me recommend, don't ever do. Well, we had self-diagnosed her as having a form of lymphoma cancer. And all of the things were there, all of the signs were there. <clears throat> so we had really, really scared ourselves. Um, it had been there for over a year, well over a year. And it had come and it had gone. Now, Stephanie works with cancer patients. And you, as you can imagine, cancer is no respecter of persons. It comes on the rich, it comes on the, the poor, it comes on the old, it comes on the young. And Stephanie has seen this happen, and of course, we thought for sure the worst. Well, we went and uh, her doctor went and did a biopsy just to be safe, and it came back with a possibility of having a form of lim lymphoma, a form of lymphoma cancer, a small monoclonal B-cell population. I, I know very much about monoclonal B-cell populations after this experience. It was our worst fears confirmed. Here was the report that she needed to do a further biopsy, but what had been picked up in the first biopsy was a small monoclonal B-cell population, which are the cells that lead to lymphoma cancer. And we were devastated. As you can imagine, we have three children. She's young, I'm young. Uh, we knew everything, all of the signs that, that we had read about and that we had learned about, uh, we saw in her. And it was very scary. And so she went for a second biopsy, a fuller biopsy. And so it was a week later or a week and a half later that we went for that biopsy. So for that week, week and a half, it was, it was doom and gloom. And then she took the biopsy, and it was going to be multiple days after that, many days after that, that we would get our answer. But during that time frame of roughly 10 days, we committed ourselves to prayer. Now, we got down on our knees in tears. We were absolutely terrified, and we prayed every day, every evening. I had to watch her. She couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep. I had to take off time from work. I couldn't focus. I couldn't think. I knew that I was going to have to raise three kids on my own and take care of a woman who had cancer. And I just said, I'm not ready for this. But nevertheless, I gave it to the Lord, and we continued to pray, God, we believe you're able. We believe you're, you're able to change whatever you want to change. If it is cancer, you can make it non-cancer. We know you can do it. We know that you don't have to. We know that you are able, but are you willing? And I'll never forget the day and where we were when we got the news after her second major biopsy that it was negative. We fell down on our face and we began to worship and praise the Lord. It was an amazing thing. And I don't know what happened there, but everything looked negative. Everything looked bad. 
And God answered prayer in a favorable way. He saw fit to remove from us a period of suffering. And I don't have an explanation for that. And I don't know whether or not God has done something like that in your life or he will do something like that in your life. And, and my job as your pastor is not to come in and make promises that I can't cash in on. I don't know if God will heal you. I don't know if God will deliver you. I don't know if God will give to you. And the pastors who tell you that and they make guarantees, they have no right to say that. There is no guarantee in this life. There is no formula for health and for wealth and for prosperity. You ever watch this show, The Biggest Loser? It's about the, the guy, it's about, you know, overweight people who are trying to lose weight. Well, the healthiest guy on there, the trainer, had a massive heart attack and almost died. He's the healthiest guy on there. He's the trainer. I can't make any promises for you. So this morning, I want to balance last week's sermon about suffering with a sermon about a God who is able. Basic Christianity. This is basic to our beliefs and to what we as Christians believe. This morning, my sermon is titled, What We Should Learn from the Faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you have your Bibles, you can turn in them or you can look at the screen with the new clear picture. I spent some time doing a full uh, study of the, the chapter 3, but I, I felt like I would only focus on these particular words. One commentator said these particular words are like the words, they're, sorry, are like the words that, uh, that uh, famous words in a movie, like make my day. Many of us maybe not even, don't even know the movie, but we know the words, make my day. Or here's looking at you, kid. I think that's from Casablanca. Am I right? All right. Never seen the movie. Thank God. My rule is if it's in black and white, I'm not watching it. <laughs> but this is the most famous verse in the section and in this chapter. And I want to read it this morning. And I just want to simply talk about what we, real simple, this is a real simple sermon this morning. I just want to talk about some things we can glean from it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king. Now, if I give you just a little bit of a, a background here. King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. He is on a, uh, on a series of conquests. And God has used Babylon to be his agent of wrath upon Israel for her idolatry. And they are now taken into exile. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as Azariah, Misael, Hananiah are taken in to the kingdom because of their gifts, because of their abilities. They are healthy youths and they're going to be used by Babylon uh, to, to be uh, uh, noble people, noblemen and in, in, uh, 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 high ups in, in Babylon. So he brings them into the kingdom. And they're able to interpret dreams. Daniel has been given a gift by God. 
Uh, God reveals to Daniel the king's dream. The king has a dream about a great statue. The statue has a head of gold, a chest plate of silver. He has legs of bronze and legs of iron and feet of clay. And a rock comes out, crushes the feet. The statue tumbles. And Daniel interprets this as king. You are the great king. You are the head, the golden head. But there are inferior kingdoms underneath you. And you are ultimately going to be crushed. So the first thing in response to what the king has heard through the interpretation of Daniel is to go and build a statue of pure gold. It's like when you, when you see these people who take duct tape and put it on their windows when a hurricane's coming. You, you, everybody in here started laughing. Because in the 1980s, hurricane brochures were telling people duct tape your windows so that if a rock hits it, uh, if a rock hits it, it won't shatter. You know what it did when rocks hit it? It was like a flying guillotine across your living room. But it made you feel comfortable. You sat in your house and you watched as cows were flying by. And you had duct tape on your window, and that duct tape made you feel real secure. And so what the king did was he built, because he had heard a dream about a, a statue that had a golden head, but a silver chest, and it had a bronze. So, so each material is weaker and less than the others. And he, and he goes and he builds an entire statue of gold. He says, this won't be my fate, essentially. It won't be my fate, this interpretation of this dream. And then he makes everybody bow down to it. He tries to unite the whole world. This is what Babel has always done. Babylon has always done this. It's what they did back in Genesis 11. They tried to unite the whole world under a false god. And God confused the languages. It's the very same plane, by the way. The plane of Shinar. The very same plane where they built the Tower of Babel is now where this, this king has made a golden statue and everyone is going to worship him. He, neither, he wants to be worshipped and for his Babylonian gods to be worshipped. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, we're not doing it. And the king says to him, I'm going to play these instruments, a cacophony, they made no sense together. In fact, all of the instruments that were being played had no place in any Hebrew worship whatsoever. But they were to be recognized by the various nations that the Babylonian Empire had already conquered. And the king brought them before and said, when I play these, you shall bow down. But if you don't, I'm going to execute you. Then what God will deliver you from my hand? And here's what the boy said. They answered the king and said this, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. My point this morning is simply this. The posture of a Christian should always be to live his life trusting in and praying to the God who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Let's take a look at these points. Point number one, 
The true knowledge of God is our firm foundation when the storms of life beat against our hearts. Jesus talked about two men, a wise man and a foolish man. And the wise man, the foolish man built his house upon sinking sand. You know something about building a house on sinking sand? If it's sinking at the end, it was sinking at the beginning. He's foolish because the whole time that he's building the house, he knows the sand is sinking. He knows it's not going to come through. It's never going to support the house. If it won't support the foundation, why would it support more? Jesus says, this house is doomed from the beginning. It's sinking sand. And when storms come, they're going to tear it down. Then he tells us about the wise man who builds his house on the rock. And Jesus says of this wise man that when the storms came, this house will stand. And the important thing about this analogy here between the wise man and the fool is that in both instances, storms still come. Christian, do not be held captive by the hollow and deceptive philosophy that when you come to God, all evil and suffering goes away. That is a hollow and deceptive philosophy. There is not enough money in the world that you can give to a pastor to guarantee in this life you won't have suffering. And yet, this hollow and deceptive philosophy has millions and millions and millions of people around the world bowing their knee to a false god. God has never promised you that you will not have storms. What he has told you has been to build it on the rock. The rock is Christ. And the rock is the true knowledge of Christ and of God. It is to acknowledge who God truly is. True knowledge of God is our firm foundation in the storms of life. They're going to come. One of the biggest things that happens is, I remember Stephanie and I had some friends and they were Christians, but they were kind of nominal Christians. That is, they, they had the name Christian, but there wasn't a lot of evidence in their life that they were truly Christian. Jesus said, you shall know them by the fruit they bear. Nevertheless, this is a true story. Her grandmother passed away. She was either in her late 80s or in her early 90s. Her grandmother passed away from old age, whatever that is. I don't think that's an actual diagnosis, by the way. She couldn't believe God would do that. How could God take away her 92-year-old grandmother? She had built her life on the sinking sand of false teaching. That if you're really a believer, God's going to make things always go your way. He never says no. 
He's like a genie that if you just rub him the right way, he'll grant you all of your wishes. But that's not God. The true knowledge of God is our firm foundation when the storms of life beat against our hearts. This morning, all I can tell you is this. I can guarantee you that storms are coming and I can only ask you to prepare your home on the rock and not on sinking sand. Point two. God's will is absolute, but it is also diverse. What do I mean by this? God's will is absolute, but it is also diverse. To say that God's will is absolute is to say that God's will never changes. God is not a shifting God. He does not live in shadows. God knows everything that's going to happen. Scripture uses the word foreknowledge. It means he has a knowledge before it ever even happens. But the reason why God has a knowledge before it happens is because God has decreed for it to happen. It is because God has been the one who determines that it would happen. Of course he knows what's coming. He did it. He is the ultimate cause of all things. And it is not changing. God's will is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Theologians call this attribute immutability. To say that God is absolutely unchanging. He is unchanging in all his ways. He is unchanging in his holiness. He is unchanging in his power. He is unchanging in his knowledge. He is unchanging in, his, in all that he does, in his goodness, in his mercy. God is an unchanging God. So think about, just for a moment, go back to the analogy of sinking sand. Every idol is a changing idol. Doesn't it change? Here's the one way that every idol changes, guaranteed. It fails. Every idol changes that way. Every single idol changes by failing. Oh, money, man. As long as I get the money, everything's going to be fine. Until God causes the market to crash. And all of your 401ks and Roth IRAs go right in the garbage. Ah, but I read it in a book. Everything was going to be fine. Nope. Well, what about my health? If I just keep healthy, nothing's ever getting to me until you have a massive heart attack. What about that love of your life? If I find that person, I'll be complete. And either you don't find that person, or you find that person, and you find that that person is like every other person, a sinner. All idols change. So this is no small doctrine of God. It is good news this morning that if you have faith in God, a true knowledge of God, you're building your house on a rock. It ain't going nowhere. Whatever comes in your life, it's not leaving. 
Paul said, nothing separates us from the love of God. If you're built on the true knowledge of God, no matter how bad life gets, no matter how good it gets, nothing separates you. Not even your own sin. God does not react to anything since nothing happens outside his purpose. This is not to say, however, that God has not foreordained those second causes, namely our prayers and our actions be used as the very means by which he accomplishes his purposes. Someone say, why does God ask us to pray if he doesn't change? Because it is his will to have your prayers be used to bring about his will of decree. You say, what are you talking about? Why would I even pray if God's already made it up in his mind? He's going to do it. Why would I even do that? Don't forget that it was always God's will to bring about our salvation through the death of Christ. But God used lawless men to crucify and kill him. It was their decision. They, in their will, they desired, this is what they desired to do most of all in their will, was to crucify the Son of God. It was their free will. They desired to do it. And yet it was God's sovereign will to bring about the death of His Son through their sinful will. As God told Joseph, or as Joseph told his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. You say, I don't understand how we can be free and God have decreed everything that comes to pass. It is a mystery. But it is no less the will of God and the writing in the word of God that tells us that we are responsible for our actions and God is a sovereign God in control of everything from the greatest to the least. And yes, even human actions but it would be wrong to confuse God's will here God did not desire these men to be lawless since he had given to the world his command so I want to talk about what we mean when we use the word God's will theologians have given us three ways to look at God's will the first way is God's will of decree Decree acknowledges God's kingship, that God is the authority. If, if this is the desk of the universe, God sits behind it, and there's a little wooden cutout that says, the buck stops here. Even the very laws of nature have to acknowledge what this says. God is the boss of everything. Remember when Jesus was on the boat and the storm came and he told the waves to be still? Even the waves know the buck stops here. God's will of decree is his eternal purpose for the world, for the universe foreordained from before the universe was ever created and everything that ever comes to pass will come to pass by his one purpose. God did not, this isn't a 
You know those little baby toys that they wind up and you lay on the floor and they go, and they inevitably fall off the counter if they're on the counter? You know the little wind-up toys? That's not how God made the universe. God created the universe, but he governs it too. The Westminster Shorter Catechism question number seven asks, what are the decrees of God? And it answers it this way, the decrees, plural, the many things that God is doing. All of us, there's maybe 250, 260 of us here today. We're all sitting here. All of us are going. We're going to leave and, and like pool balls that have been hit by the cue ball. We're going to go into different places. Some of us are going to go into holes. But we're going to all go into different directions and places. It's all God's decree. God has decreed it. And these are his many decrees. These are the many different things that happen. The wars, the ceasefires, the diseases and death, and the deliveries of new babies, and the healings from sickness, all part of God's decree. The many things, the many decrees of God. But as the catechism notes, they are his eternal purpose, one plan. So that, yes, we're all scattered, we're all going in different ways, but there's one plan to this. It's all working together. You ever seen a good movie? Uh, what was that movie a couple years ago, got all the acclaim, um, where the, everybody was doing something, and it was something about touch or something like that. Uh, it was in L.A., and there was different stories to it. I don't remember the name, but it's, not, it's inconsequential. And you find out all these people are coming from different places, and they all culminated this one event. It's very neat. It's, a, it's a, kind of like a study on how all of these different lives, ultimately these little things interact to this one big moment. Well, in a bigger way, everything that happens is not unrelated. God has one purpose, so that everything that comes to pass was foreordained by him. This is what we mean when we say God's will. We mean God's will of decree. It is God's will. This is a secret. This is something we can't discern about the future. There is no crystal ball that will tell you what tomorrow will bring. That is God's prerogative. And let me tell you, young person, do not be held captive by that deceptive philosophy that you can know what tomorrow will bring. You will not know. Do not chase those specters of the future. People tell me all the time, I'm just, I just want to know what God's will is for my life. And usually by what they mean by that is, who, is going, who am I going to marry? Where am I going to go to school? When am I going to buy a house? Stop wasting your time with that. God will not reveal it to you. He's not a gypsy. He's not sitting there with a crystal ball. If you just pay me a hundred more dollars, I'll tell you the future. This is a thing we look back at and say that was God's will. We look back at World War II and say that was God's will. We look back at the cross and say that was God's will. We look back at all things and say that was God's will. We look back at the fact that we were born one way and not another and say that was God's will. This is God's will of decree. 
There is also God's will of law. It is what God wills when he says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. It is his will of law. So we know it's different from his will of decree because we know that people have other gods before him. We know in our own lives we put gods before him and that's against God's will. It's certainly not against his will of decree because it's happening, but it is certainly against his will of law because we're breaking it. So that's different. And then there is God's will of desire. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, but people die every day apart from the knowledge of the truth and spend eternity separated from God in hell. So what God has decreed what God has commanded and what God desires all may constitute, may be constituted by one word will, but these are not without their own definition. And so when we talk about God's will, it is important for us to acknowledge that there are things we can do to follow the will of God and things we can't control. Let me tell you this this morning. It is not God's will that you be kept from his people by taking a job that would require you to work short of necessary jobs like health. You know, people could die in the middle of this service or they could, be, they could have a heart attack in the middle of this service and we don't need people saying, oh, I don't work on Sunday. No, you got to help. We need that. We understand that's a necessary job. It's not necessary for you to sell clothes on Sunday. And I know it's God's will. I'm certain of this. It is not God's will for you to sin. Never. Never. It goes against his will of command. You say, but I don't know what this will bring. That's not for you to worry about. You know that you are to do right always. That you are to obey even when it's hard to obey. It's especially hard to obey today. We're all consumed with the idol of being loved and being liked. That's why we never mention Jesus on our Facebook. Because we don't want to make things awkward. We don't want to put ourselves in a place that might uh, be hard for us to move out of in our jobs by saying, no, I'm not working on Sunday. It is not God's will for you to sin. But I don't know whether or not you're going to lose that job or get a better one. I'm not here to guarantee that. I'm here to simply tell you, I know for a fact that's not God's will for you. There was a popular song when I was in high school about, I can say that now and it means a long time ago, um, about a girl who just had to strip to pay her way through college. couple things. You don't have to go to college. You know that? Do you know that? You don't have to go to college. I don't see enough heads shaking like this. They should be shaking like this. You know why you can't buy that house right now and you're still living with mom? Because you're in debt. You know why? Because you bought the lie that everyone has to go to college. You don't. Some people should. Some people shouldn't. 
Some people, I know one in particular, one who, this is always funny, I always find that the guys and girls who didn't go to college end up making more money than I do with my college degree. I know one who's about to retire. He makes over $100,000 a year working in the city of Miami. But if it requires you to sin, you know you don't have to do it. God does not require you to break his law in order to serve him. God desires his will is for us to obey. And remember this. When storms come, we don't know what's going to happen. It's still scary. Every time you stay during one of these hurricanes, don't you start thinking like midway through, oh my gosh, I think we should have gone to Orlando. I do. <laughs> I got babies now. It's scary. It's going to be scary when you tell your boss, no, I, I can't do that. I'm a Christian. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't have something better for you. And it doesn't mean that you won't suffer. But God wants you to obey above all things. Third, our obedience has nothing to do with knowing God's secret will. The decorative will of God is secret. That is to say we can't know it. We're not going to know who we will marry. We're not going to know where we'll live. We're not going to know when or how we'll die or how much money we're going to make. We don't know when the stock market will crash. We'll, we don't know whether we'll be rich or poor, if we'll be the boss or the worker. We don't know if we're ever going to write a, a hit song. We don't know if we're going to make it to the uh, NBA. Because life will give us all kinds of different outcomes. But outcomes do not determine for us whether or not we should obey God. When the storms of life beat against your heart, you should pray. Pray that God heals you. Doctor diagnoses you with a serious sickness or a non-serious sickness. Pray. Pray that God delivers you from it. No matter how big or small, God says, cast all your cares upon me. He cares for you. I remember when I went to college. This is the honest to God truth. You, you, maybe you won't believe it. I had terrible acne. Terrible acne. And I really broke out because I was so nervous. And it was so bad. And I was so embarrassed by it. Now, this was so small of a thing. And I remember one time in my shower, I was just crying. And I was just, sorry, I might be telling you too much there. But I remember, I, I take showers with bathing suits on, so you're good. I remember just sitting there, and I'm just telling you the honest to God truth. I began to cry. I was so embarrassed by it. And I wanted God to take it away. And I remember within one or two months, I don't think I ever had another pimple in my life. I'm not even kidding you. Now you know me, those of you who know me, you know I'm not one of those people who looks for a, a miracle behind every bush. I'm just telling you what happened. You say, that's a small thing. There are people still starving in other countries. That's fine. God's big enough to heal your pimples and he's healed strong enough and big enough to heal starving kids in Africa. Cast all your cares on him. That's what you do. 
When I lose, the other night I lost my credit card. Friday night I lost my credit card. And Steph, this might be a big thing. Stephanie looked like she wanted to kill me. So I'm looking, I'm, I'm going around the house and I'm going back into the car. We went to, to Gertie's thing and I, you know, I was dancing and my credit card just shot out of my pocket. <laughs> I can't move my hips that much. Anyway, but I lost my credit card and I, uh, as I'm going around looking in the car, looking in the house, looking in my wallet, I'm sitting there praying, Lord, help me find this credit card. I, I don't want people to spend my money. And guess what? We get a call. Andrew, I found your credit card. Don't worry, it's fine. But, but Marcy and I are going to dinner. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, that's exactly what my father-in-law sounds like. Yeah, you say that's small. Okay, what I'm telling you to do is pray. Outcomes, smallness, bigness, it's okay. Pray, it's okay. Pray for God to take care of your needs. Pray for God to send you a mate. Pray for God to give you work and even better work and even high paying work. Pray that God remove us from toxic situations. Pray that God bring our loved ones to salvation. Pray that God bring your neighbor who you think is beyond salvation to know Christ as his savior. Pray that God will help you overcome your addiction to alcohol, to drugs, to pornography. Pray to God in all things. Pray for him to protect your families. Pray without ceasing at all times and in all things, casting all your cares upon God, knowing that he cares for you. Our obedience to pray has nothing to do with whether or not we know what the outcome will be. Finally, God may or may not be willing, but he is always able. God may or may not be willing, but he is always able. Imagine the flames. The Bible says that the furnace was heated to seven times hotter than it was. They tied him up in all of their clothes just to make sure that the clothes were like tinder. They would increase the heat. They would make sure it would catch that flesh on fire quickly. And they bound these boys, and as they were bringing them up to the top to drop them in the pit, the very men who were bringing them up were consumed by the flames. They threw them in the pit, and Nebuchadnezzar says, what do I see? I thought we threw four. No one ever stops to ask why Nebuchadnezzar wasn't worried about his men who just were consumed by flames. But he says, I see four. I thought we threw in three. And the fourth one is like a son of the gods. And the Bible tells us that he brought the boys out. And that he fell at their feet. And he praised them, calling them those who worship the most high God. You know, there are people in your life who are going to see you. They're going to see God's hand on you. That doesn't mean they're going to worship. 
Nebuchadnezzar doesn't change his mind about God in that moment. Despite the fact that he just saw people consumed by flames who didn't believe and people not consumed by flames who did. Because God is able. God is able. What is fire to him? What is the tomb to him? A couple, a couple years ago, one of our very famous pastors got caught up in a little silly theology where he said something about, if God can raise from the dead, I don't care how he was born. And I thought to myself, pastor, what, what are you talking about? If God is control of nature and can raise dead flesh from the dead, what is it to him to conceive without a male sperm? Are you kidding me? If he can say, let there be light, and when there was no light ever, 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 and not even darkness, there was nothing, because nothing by definition is the absence of anything, even darkness. And when he said, let there be light, something that had never existed, existed. What is it to him? What is it to him to heal your common cold or your cancer? Do you understand that the whole Bible is about the God who is able? Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus. And he's saying, don't, don't you know I'm the resurrection and the life? And Mary says, yeah, we know you're the resurrection. We know you're coming again. But Lazarus is dead and he smells bad. That, that's a paraphrase. Reader's Digest. And he prayed, and then he, he said, Father, I thank you. You always hear me. He said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out. That's, that's who we worship, you understand. Pray to him. He's always able. That's the posture we should have as believers. When you sit with your loved one and your loved one has just, been, has just heard from the doctor that they have cancer, it is untreatable cancer, put your hands on them and pray. The God who is able is still able. Trust me. Every doctor in the hospital told me my father was as good as dead. By the way, do you know what his atheist doctor calls him? Lazarus. That's true. And I put my hands on his leg every seven minutes and just prayed. I was at peace. Complete peace. because I, I, Not because I knew God was going to heal him, but... At least I knew I was obeying. You know, you learn a lot of life principles sitting around a poker table. Um, I, so I've heard. Um, <laughs> Johan tells me about this. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I beat Johan every time we play. So, um, so one of the things you learn about playing poker is that you have to play the hand you're dealt. And you can win with the hand you're dealt, even if it's not the best hand at the table. You can also lose with the best hand at the table. And what you learn is you have to, you, you're only limited. There's only, you cannot guarantee how the cards are going to fall. But what you can do is, I've, I've actually walked away from those poker tables. I don't play anymore. Um, I walked away from those poker tables losing, but knowing, feeling good about myself because I, I made the right call. 
dad was healed. Our sister, Marcia Davis, the moment we got the news that she was in the hospital, for now it was either the second or third time in a row, everyone met up here at this, in this church office and prayed for hours in tears. And the Lord took our sister home the next day. God may or may not be willing, but he is always able. God willed that Sarah would have a child through which all the nations on earth might be blessed. But it did not matter that she was past her childbearing years, even to the point of her laughing. God willed that the children of Israel would escape slavery into the desert. It did not matter that the Red Sea stood between them and their emancipation. God willed that the great champion of Philistia be held accountable for his blasphemy and sent a young shepherd boy into the field without any armor, only a few rocks and a leather strap, and he defeated the greatest warrior in Philistia. God willed that his own people be exiled to Babylon and that many would die. And they were exiled and many died. God willed that his very own temple be ransacked and the Ark of the Covenant be stolen. And it was. God willed that his own son be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And that upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we have been healed. And Christ died. God may or may not be willing. But he is able. Christ knew the cup that the father had prepared for him in Gethsemane. He knew exactly what was going to happen. David knew that his son between him and Bathsheba was destined to die. But the Bible says about Christ in the garden. He said this. Abba, Father. Understand what that is. That, that's a child like faith, a complete dependency. That's what prayer is every time, complete dependency. Abba, Father, hear me, Father. You're not the big guy up in the sky, you're Father. We have a relationship, you love me. I can come into your room anytime I want. That's the right purchase by Christ for me and for you who receive Christ. You can come into that throne room anytime and you can talk to your father. And you can tell him anything. And you can ask him anything. And he has the power to give you anything. And he'll never cast you off. But he knows what's best for you. And he is always able, but he may not always be willing Nevertheless, Christ prayed, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. God is able to do all things. And he may do exactly what we ask, 
no matter how big or how small. Pray without ceasing for everything, but always make God's will your ultimate desire. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning to just say thank you that you purchased for us through the cross, that you answered your son Jesus, no, it was not possible that you removed the cup from him. Because if you removed the cup from him, the very prayer we prayed this morning could not be heard. Not in a new way, not in the way of the new covenant where we are your children. And here we stand before you, Father, and we lay at your feet this prayer, Lord. It is my prayer that you will open hearts this morning. Lord Jesus, there may be someone here today who has not received the adoption of sonship, that they have not received Christ Jesus as their Lord. It is my prayer that you would open that heart and that before they leave here today, they would come and they would see me. And I would be able to lead them to that relationship with you. Holy Spirit, do your work, move. And Lord, we just want to praise you and thank you. Give us that unwavering faith when the storms of life beat against our house as they will to trust you and to pray out, Abba, Father. You are amazing God and we love you. Thank you. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close? I want to thank Hank for stepping in and playing for us. You guys don't know how blessed you are to have a church filled with people who can just jump on the piano and play and, and, do all, and switch from like 100 instruments. You, you, you may not know all the things these men can play, but they're, they're quite amazing, and I'm blown away by their talent. So thank you. Thank you. i
Father, as we leave this place, let Christ always, always be reflective in our life. Help us to be witnesses for you. In Jesus' name, amen.